Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's first Friday toast to the arts and park show with the National Parks Arts Foundation. We love our first Fridays because we get to chat with the artists who are artisan residents in national parks. And one of the major residencies that the National Parks Arts Foundation puts together is one at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. So I know you've heard a lot of artists, musicians, writers on the show that have stayed there, but today we get to welcome back comics journalist, Andy Warner. And I believe this is the third time he's been on the show, which means he's probably been there three times. He's been working on an amazing project. And I encourage you to go to his website. It's andywarnercomics.com and also the National Parks Arts Foundation because their programs go all the way to Dry Tortugas National Park. There's Chaco Canyon up in northern New Mexico. It's just an amazing program. So go to nationalparksartsfoundation.org. I'll make sure the links are in the show notes for you all too. So welcome back, Andy. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. Just hanging out here um, at the residency house. I had a presentation at the park a couple of days ago and so I'm just wrapping things up that's awesome so this is the third time you've been there and done mm-hmm. this residency which I think a lot of people are probably quite jealous you know <laughs> I'm just saying the project just keeps expanding every time I come back <laughs> well so yeah let, let's kind of review that from the beginning kind of mm-hmm. and let's let's just let people know because it seems it seems like you know there's comics journalism but I'm seeing more comics coming out as um, books, middle grade books too. I'm seeing a lot of that mm-hmm. actually. Just, um, actually, you know, through Big Blend Radio, radio it seems mm-hmm. to be growing. Yeah, that's a huge growing part of the industry. And I actually had a book come out uh, last year. That's a middle grade book about the history of animal domestication and commensalism, sort of how we got dogs and cats and cockroaches and mice and just all the lovely creatures of the Anthropocene. So I wrote a book, um, a comic book, uh, full length, that came out from Little Brown last year. And I've got another one in that same space coming out um, next year about the same idea, but for plants. So yeah, that's a huge part of the industry, actually. Um, But I I work in both. I create both um, nonfiction comics for adults and also for younger readers. Um, And it definitely requires a different um, kind of thought process to put those two things together. So as a journalist, I mean, I mean, it, it because it, it there's cartoons and there's comics, so it's a little different, mm-hmm. right? But I mean, sort of, this you kind yeah, of yeah. you could go to town right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last I don't know, maybe the last fifteen years have been pretty interesting. I mean, absolutely, seriously, <laughs> yeah. There's more than how do you not want to? Yeah, I know. Like, how do you not want to work on that? But I think what you're doing in Hawaii is really um, incredible because. I think it's changed up since the first time you went there of, you know, there, there's a lot of has happened. You've had volcano eruptions even when you're there. Did you expect that? You know, there. I mean, you've uh, just got all these stories. Yeah, it was actually amazing. The um, Just a few days after we arrived back on the island, um, the volcano started erupting again. And we got to see it this time. The last two times uh, she was quiet, um, except for a little glow the second time. And this time it pulled out all the stops. It was really amazing. Um, But yeah, the scope has really, really changed. The first time I came out here, um, I was doing a sort of narrow story about the communities that were affected by the 2018 eruption, um, the last Mm -hmm. really, really cataclysmic one that took out hundreds of homes and displaced thousands of people. Um, And over the course of the last two times I've come out here, I've really expanded that scope to talk about volcanic um, activity here on a generational level and the way that the communities um, throughout all of recorded history have dealt with living on and around this enormous thing that kind of periodically um, destroys things, but also creates beautiful things. Um, And that tension of how do people form their lives? How do they build communities? How do they react when those communities are lost? Mm -hmm. Was something that really started to interest me. And Talking to people here, the story just grew and grew. People are very friendly down here on the south part of the island. Um, And so I just accumulated more and more stories. And then 
you start to see how the stories fit together and it just becomes more and more fascinating to you. So this, yeah, because this is like three times now, which is, I don't know, I don't know how many artists have been able to go to the same place three times through NPAF. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. know. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think. I know artists have been able to have multiple residencies. Like I know Alice Lease has done well, you know, that way. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think she's done a, a lot of the parks now. But um, you still have to be jury. Like you have to go through the, the whole process of applying each yeah, time absolutely. right and then you go through the Every time. jury and all of that it's, it's not exactly the easiest thing to get accepted to have but and if you don't get accepted everyone do it again apply again <laughs> and it's because it just is it it i think every artist we talk to that is you know applied and then you know reapplied eventually makes it through mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that we've talked to you know so i know i don't i can't speak for everyone who's obviously applied over the years, but um, everyone says to no matter what, don't give up. Would you say the same? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also really, I mean, the thing that's gotten me back here several times is, I mean, a genuine fascination with the place. I feel yes. very, this place is, um, it's one of the most interesting um, places I've sort of lived in. Um, and I lived here for five months. I lived here for four months after the residency. Mm -hmm. And when I was out here the last time, just accumulating more and more research um, and being able to convey that like passion for the actual people and place that you're hoping to visit. Um, I think that, you know, adds a little special sauce to it. Like um, I'm not coming here to just draw under a palm tree. I'm coming here to draw about the people that live under the palm trees. Um, <laughs> and so, and so, you know, that that probably helped with um, getting the residency multiple times. Um, and also, um, you know, really thinking about the story that I wanted to tell about the place um, became really important to me. You know, the communities here, the way that they react to um, these big traumatic events and stick together. And we're not just talking about volcanoes. We're talking about tsunamis and earthquakes. You know, this is a very sort of geologically mm -hmm. active part of the world but also disinvestment when the sugarcane industry left and things like that. Um, and all those things swirling around gave me the idea of looking at this place as sort of a, a, a little bit of a preview of what's to come for the rest of us. You know, I'm from California and there's those out of control wildfires there that swallow up towns periodically. Um, and that didn't used to happen when I was a kid. Okay. And I have kids, they're out here with me. Um, they come to the residency too. By the way, if any artists are listening to this with families, this is an amazing family-friendly residency. Um, there's space for your kids. Um, it's a wonderful place for them, et cetera. Um, but watching them around here and the other kids in the community, you know, this is a, this feeling of mm. being able to deal with generational cataclysm is something that we're all taking on now yeah. as a world. And it, this place has lived it for 200 years. So that, that kind of, that was what really I can't let go of. <laughs> well, I think also because you were there like during the pandemic, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. And, and I mean, I know that's technically over with, but I still know people getting COVID. So like Absolutely. happens, but it, thank God it's mm -hmm. not, you know, we're, they're alive um, and surviving. Yeah, that was one of um, the first true global yeah. events for everybody at the same time right we all yeah but i was thinking it. for hawaii they've gone mm -hmm. through these massive changes that are just you know in regards to it, it's part of the way of life right mm -hmm. and then Absolutely. here comes climate change and their islands and mm -hmm. islands are really um they're they're yeah and it's 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 you know the island people that we talk the with and, and do tourism they are all um, working towards how like serious responsibility. Islands are always having to be extra protective because mm -hmm. they're a very closed system, right? You know, mm -hmm. we've got to think about we're in a, you know, the goldfish in the bowl, you know, the, that little closed system. And for islands, it's always been serious, but now it's even more serious about what happens to islands. And then here comes a volcano, then here comes a pandemic mm -hmm. and, oh, let's have another volcano. Let's have climate change. So they're handling a lot of change all the time, which I think in a way also makes life a little simpler because you don't, um, 
I don't know, maybe because the way Nancy and I travel full time and have lived in different countries and you don't really mm -hmm. get to bring your stuff everywhere. Eventually mm -hmm. stuff gets, it, it's kind of a, you, you get rid of stuff. You don't let bag, you don't have as much baggage. So it's a mm -hmm. little bit of a simpler life. Would you kind of say that, you know, obviously the baggage everyone has personal interior like stuff, right? And that's mm -hmm. what really mm -hmm. gets you through more than the, the physical baggage. So would you say that that's kind of where it's at too, is like, you don't, I mean, homes are a big deal, period. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But you yeah, know what I mean, I mean about the baggage? I'm not I'm not putting anything absolutely. down as lightly, you know? Yeah. I mean, one thing, that's definitely true, sort of a lightness of your footprint um, that you find. But I, I guess even more than that of what people kind of hold on to in terms of possessions, um, what interests me is the way that people hold on to each other in places yeah. like this. Um, because that's what you, I mean. It's real. Island, yeah. yeah, oh, it's very real. I mean, I grew up uh, partly on an island um, in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, and so this That's is right. a familiar experience to me. The way that communities, you know, when there's a barrier of water all around you, you really do have to rely on one another. And that place, St. Croix, is subjected to hurricanes on a pretty regular mm -hmm. basis. It has a similar sort of history of periodic community trauma and the way that people pull together and deal with that has always been really inspirational to me as somebody that spent a lot of time on the mainland when people you know won't look at you in the eye and, yeah um, yeah yeah no I, I've gone we've gone through so many wildfires personally Nancy and mm -hmm. I living in the mountains in San Diego and um, I mean we've been through a lot of, of those kind of you know hurricanes fires all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, you just kind of in political stuff in countries like in Africa and stuff, you know, it, mm -hmm. real stuff. And it really, it is interesting because you get like the one small town people are stealing each other's business signs and they're all catty. Well, the fire stuff, everybody, mm -hmm. it just, the, the whole dynamic changed a hundred percent where mm -hmm. enemies were helping each other. And eventually that went away. But then once all the fire stuff calmed down, then everybody could look at each other and go, Okay, let's go back to like attacking each other. But, yeah, it, but you knew that deep down the attack wasn't as real as you would have thought. Like when we first moved there, I was like, oh my God, these people are really, no, they weren't. It, it's competitiveness. Mm -hmm. But when it got down to the reality, they were going to save each other's kids, save each other, help each Absolutely. other. I saw people com that were competitors when some friends did lose their house and a lot of people lost their homes and, um, and they were the first ones and mm -hmm. it, it was everything and one of the competitors came in because they're all in hospitality and like basically gave them coupons for food from their mm -hmm. restaurant for like the mm -hmm. whole year for a family of four and i was mm -hmm. like seriously yeah you guys used to bicker no yeah, no no we're doing the right a. thing you know? yeah and then i mean it's it, it it's pretty amazing when you see that happen and there is something that ties into art i know tanya ortega founder of npaf the mm -hmm. national parks arts foundation we were talking about this on a show before about there's something about that with this give and take right give and take ebb and flow mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. in art there's art and then the art goes away and that's kind of how it feels like with what's happening with volcanoes it's like mm -hmm. it's it's like this I can create it and I can destroy it, Mother Nature mm -hmm. says, you know? So they're kind yeah. of dealing with all of that. Wow. Well, it's the same. I mean, the thing that is one aspect where you just brought up creation and destruction that's really fascinating to me about this landscape and the way that people talk about it and deal with it is that you could really just interpret it through a lens of destruction if you wanted to, right? The volcanoes erupting, people are losing their houses, et cetera. But the very rocks of this beautiful island you know the hot ponds the beaches all that stuff is also created by that same volcano that you know some people are talking about lashing out it really is this and you know things will there will be an earthquake and the ground will lower by five feet and that makes a beautiful beach but that same earthquake triggered an eruption that you know roars through a subdivision and so there always oh. is this these two aspects at work where the same places that people love so deeply and have all these deep memories are being taken from them while new things are being created. I mean, it's never just sort of a march into the mouth of doom. Um, 
Climate change, maybe, but volcanoes are a little more complex. Yeah, yeah, but it, it makes it makes you you know they always say oh, this shall this too shall pass, whether mm -hmm. it's happiness or sorrow that you're going through in life. Mm -hmm. it, nothing ever stays the same. It just doesn't. So exactly. once you embrace yeah, that's change, kind of what I'm trying to get at exactly. Yeah, you, once you embrace change, you're a stronger person for it because you just you mm -hmm. have to understand that that every day something is changing every hour every second change is the mm -hmm. only constant and so mm -hmm. when you're living in a place that is really changing all the time i find mm -hmm. that pretty exciting because it does remind you that to live in the present as well and appreciate mm -hmm. that present moment no matter what it is yeah absolutely one funny thing about all the landscape changing all the time is the maps right so I, I love oh, drawing yeah. maps. One aspect of my being here is that I'll do research, I'll talk to people, I'll find these things that people talk about offhand, but that are really difficult to reach and I go find them and mark them on my map and draw about them. And that'll be a big part of the project. But all these places are changing constantly. And I was talking to the park staff about this and it's like a funny thing for them. I don't think there's another national park where almost every year they have to update all of their maps and all of their pamphlets and stuff because some event happens somewhere in the park and like there's a new cinder cone or the lava lake is 300 feet higher than it used to be or <laughs> whatever. I mean, just the amount of sort of paper that they have to turn through to you know update all their maps and stuff like that was mind boggling to me when I found that out. Um, wow. And it's sort of this almost, you know, it's like a Sisyphean thing where you're like, trying to represent the world as it is, but the world is always changing. So you're really just representing that moment when you looked at it. Wow, wow, I know it's really difficult. I mean, even just what we do, like I'll go put something together and we've had magazines delayed, like, oh, no, this is closed because of a fire. Mm -hmm. Then you stop what you're, you know, you just wrote something, like mm -hmm. go walk through this beautiful meadow with trees and butterflies and la 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 and like, boom no it's gone mm -hmm. okay everything's closed no no two minutes later no they're able to open this part up now this part's there mm -hmm. all right now we're like cue the classical music again you know mm -hmm. it's like this it's always happening it's happening in places with hurricanes and all of that it's like you think you've got it so it, it really is I, and i think we've got to you know it's like science it, it that's mm -hmm. it i think people are against science because they haven't embraced or quite understood that science is always constantly changing. It's not a scientist right. yeah. making stuff up. Every time Things I get a scientist on, yeah. every time I get a scientist on the show, I'm like, can you explain this to everybody? Science is one experiment, and the experiment may not work the next day because something's changed. It just is. That's the way yeah, it is. That's kind of the point too. You want it to not work sometimes so that you're checking your assumptions and you're like, oh, I was heading off in the wrong direction. If you're always right in your experiments, then something's wrong. Yeah. And you're boring. <laughs> no, yeah, that's <laughs> no, no. So, I mean, this is really interesting. These, these life lessons that come from this, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. from, were you able to do events before? Because the pandemic kind of ruined yeah, that for doing yeah. events. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was, I did one, uh, a talk my first time here. And then, yeah, unfortunately there were no public events um, the second time in 2021. Um, and then I did a presentation a few days ago of the project um, at the park this time. So what did, were you able to show them what, what you're doing? Because, and people should know that mm -hmm. you've been kind of doing this consistent documentation, right? So mm -hmm. part of this is is also going into um becoming it's going to literally become a book right so if you can let people know yeah. what what you've been yeah, putting together it'll be, a, it'll be a big book um it's pretty much all interview and history based um with you know uh, i will go in and explore things and look at them but i'm mainly using other people's um, historical accounts about them and then interviewing a lot of people and then drawing them um and it's a story that started out initially just about the 2018 eruption and then I realized in talking to people about that eruption that they would kind of get annoyed by me fixing on this one big traumatic event and I examined that and I realized that it was because of this the community's sort of generational memory of mm. these events over the course of 150 years and it's all one 
long line, right? You never have the, a history doesn't end. Histories yeah. stack, histories complicate each other. Mm. And so it ended up being, um, the book sort of is in two parts. One part is about Puna, which is one part of the Southern coast here. And the other part is about Kau, which is the other half of the Southern coast here. And those are the two bits of coast on either side of the volcano park. Um, and they're the most often subjected to what the volcano does. Um, mm. So there's these generational memories going back to the 1860s of one of the biggest eruptions the island has ever experienced that basically extinguished the indigenous communities on the coast here. Um, didn't, there was a tsunami, the water turned brackish, the freshwater sources, people moved inland, um, that's when Cain started. Um, and so trying to kind of take these historical memories and then marry them with the modern, you know, social media saturated, you can find countless hours of footage of the Leilani events because everybody has their smartphones, right? And you find like yeah. one or two historical pictures of the Kau events, but they're still so alive for people here. Um, and so mm -hmm. stitching a line between the two of those um, became one aspect of the project um, and then yeah just kind of broadening it to be about this this feeling that the world is becoming more uh it's getting closer to a space where this periodic cataclysm mm -hmm. is not just the thing that this community experiences but like the california coast experiences and then yeah. this is the thing that people here are aware of too i was talking with a park ranger here and he brought up Paradise, California, independently of my theories about this, because he also sees this growing connection being forged between communities that have these lessons to teach others about how to deal with this sort of um, heavy stuff inflicted on you by nature, um, and these other communities that are just kind of learning that. But the, and then also the human impulse to sort of live in incredibly dangerous but beautiful places, right? Like mm -hmm. a lot of these events happen because we build suburbs in wildfire zones, or we build suburbs on top of active faults, or we build mm -hmm. suburbs on top of lava fields that are lava zone one. Um, and these are like human choices that we make that then make the inevitable event when it comes so much more traumatic for everybody mm -hmm. involved. Well, yeah, I think there, you know, one thing I'm picking up, you know, just going back to how people, these lessons, these life lessons, how people are dealing with all these changes is resiliency. And, yes, you know, growing up in, in Kenya and then South Africa and then living in Mexico and, you know, different places where there's a lot of real, you know, when when stuff went bad, it was bad. I mean, there was life mm -hmm. and death was mm -hmm. always there and it happened to kids. And you would see kids in the the poorest areas, but they'd have these giant smiles on their face. And we always go, why this resiliency? How do they mm -hmm. do that when mm -hmm. we'd all be going, oh my God, we'd be freaked out. We'd be panicking. We'd, you know, mm -hmm. depression, these kids mm -hmm. and, and parents not saying that, I mean, stuff went down too. Like, you know, smiles aren't 24 seven, but they're mm -hmm. there. And this resiliency, this glimmer of hope and yeah, I think it's hugely important. It, I think it, it really is once you get it and understand this cause and effect change, you that's how you hold on to hope. I know there's spirituality and spiritualism and religion and all that that mm -hmm. gets can washed into it as well and tied into it. I shouldn't say washed into it, tied into it. Um, then, yeah, that was a bad word. I didn't mean it that way. Uh, <laughs> tied in. Then, um, then it empowers it and it moves it in a different way too and it can always it's 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 like it's like our lives are like dough you can just keep molding mm -hmm. it into a different thing and that's where i think that resiliency and you know what you you've been gathering and and creating and working on i feel like you've picked up that resiliency and and brought it to light in a way that a lot of us probably I didn't even quite put it together until you were just talking. I was like, oh, that's what it is. It's this yeah. impermanence of mm -hmm. understanding impermanence and not 
fighting against it because quite frankly you're just going to beat your head against the wall forever you can't absolutely you can't fight yeah. it you can either swim with the right wave or swim against it you know and if you're swimming yeah. with the wave then you can at least choose which direction you're going that's right and you know um the other part of what i've heard from what you've been talking about is a respect for what mm -hmm. you're creating it seems like you you've um you're feeling it like because you're writing about people's homelands you're writing mm -hmm. about their natural environment and their stories so there's a like a um a deep respect of what you put out there that you are um inspiring and telling a, a story and not hurting you know well it's a huge responsibility um yeah I... that's a, a, yeah, I, yeah. Say. everything that I do is nonfiction. That's I'm a nonfiction cartoonist. So I everything that I do is in some way a real historical story or sourced from my personal experience or from an interview or something like that. And there's always a there's a huge responsibility when you're working with nonfiction because these are like real people and real lives and mm -hmm. real feelings. Um, and not seeing that realness um, would poison any project that tried to engage with the real world i think mm -hmm. you know, like you need to sort of um take on the responsibility accept it um i mean you are you're creating a narrative basically out of reality um and yeah. there's always that's a craft but it has effects right like people will read this um, people will see themselves in it, see their own stories. And I want those stories when they see them to be something that they recognize and feel that I've been a good steward of. Um, yeah, that's a good that's way of putting it, stewardship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's, and, and I think the other thing too with what you're doing is showing a side of Hawaii that typical tourists don't get maybe oh, you yeah. know no, and, and I don't like I hate using the word tourist but in this case I actually want to mm -hmm. <laughs> use yeah, that it, word the um the uh, that's a big aspect of it actually so the um and again that comes back to the volcano actually so it's actually kind of dangerous to live here right in Kau and in Puna a lot of it is lava zone one and two and so that has actually kept out you know, a lot of the big resorts from being built um, mm. because it's not yeah. insurable in certain places. Yeah, sure, um, and, sure. that, and that sort of, you know, when the sugarcane left, um, resorts didn't go in. Um, and that kind of gave the community here the breathing space. You know, the, it was an economic depression after the sugar left, but people clung together, they stuck with each other, and they kind of built something new here. And they're very welcoming to outsiders. It's fine to come and visit, but yeah, it's not it's not the tourist trap. Uh, they're a self-sufficient, hardy, and resilient community out here. And you know, there's there's beautiful beaches, there's rivers and trees and stuff like that, but it's also really spread out. You know, it's you could look out at the flatness of Kau and almost think you were in Wyoming, except for half your vision being taken up by the Pacific Ocean. So wow. it's not clustered together in a way that like Kauai or Maui or things like that is. And those two things working together just, yeah, gave it this like hardiness that really um, persists to the present day. And the people that come here from who are outsiders that come here to live, they come here for that. You know, I've met mm -hmm. many people who are outsiders here. It's not just locals who live in these two places. But when you talk to them, what they came here seeking was these kind of communities, you know, they weren't yeah. coming to Hawaii looking for like the vacation home under the waterfall, something like that. They were looking for like people that stuck together in a special place. Yeah, reality. I think you exactly you've really, reality. Yeah, <laughs> you've really um, answered a lot of things that we always talk about in regards to our lives in in Africa, where it was harder, but for some reason it just doesn't. I don't know if it's our memories don't look at it mm -hmm. that way because our hearts are always joyous when we think of it, even the really scary times. I mean, we've done mm -hmm. things like driven up on a concentration camp, you know, mm -hmm. not a concentration yes. camp, yeah. a terrorist camp by yeah, accident yeah, yeah. and things like that. Yeah, and and yeah. we've had guns at our head. We've had, yeah. I mean, the, the list goes on of, of crazy where people always looked at us like we're nuts. And I was a little kid, I you know, I was raised into <laughs> yeah. it, but 
you know, Nancy's, you know, a little wild. You've talked with her on the show, but she, you know, but there's, I don't know. It's like, you know, it's it's like when I remember as a kid, once we lived in Shelly beach in South Africa and it's Mm -hmm. this beach where, you know, you, it's so rough. Right. And so Mm -hmm. all these shells come up and crush glass and all of this. Mm-hmm. And you'd run down with a can, like an empty coffee can, and run down. And where the water would go down, it kind of dipped down. And you would run and get it, scoop a can, and then come running out, put it on the beach, and sift for shells, right, as kids. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. However, when the water came back, like I said, there was this big dip. And if you went too far, this was also, even though it was so rough, where all the great whites mm-hmm. hung out. Oh, my God. What did, yeah, but for some reason... It's not like you're in La La Land. Right. You become yeah. one with it. And mm-hmm. I remember going further and further out, knowing this is the stupidest thing on the planet. <laughs> I know that your kids, we do this stuff, right? We jump off roofs. Yeah. We did all that stuff. Totally. But there was something about being one with it. And then later as an older teenager, you know, my friends were, you know, got nailed surfing. I remember going out on boats and being surrounded, a rubber dinging surrounded by you know, hammerheads and, you know, this, this is dumb, but mm-hmm. you become one with your environment. You know, totally. you learn to live with the snakes. You learn to, mm-hmm. and, you know, you can't, because you cannot live in fear of it. Mm-hmm. And so you become one of it and you start to see things, the beauty of what terrorizes people because of their fears. Mm-hmm. So you start to see this whole other side. It doesn't mean you're not going to get bitten. But you right. see this beauty yeah. of it, right? Because whatever the most beautiful thing is in Africa is the mm-hmm. most deadliest normally, you know, mm-hmm. same in Australia, mm-hmm. I think, and some of yeah. the snakes yeah, things we enough. see, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, but, but I, but it, that's the thing, like you're saying, it's dangerous to live there, but mm-hmm. there's this side of like, okay, you know, and we had systems of friends, like if you drove to a friend's house, um, you stayed the night, you went out, mm-hmm. whatever. You stayed the mm-hmm. night. You did not try, depending on where, where you are or whatever. But if you were in a rural area, if your friends mm-hmm. came over for a barbecue, you already expected them to spend the night. That's mm-hmm. how it was. And if something yeah. went down, you had a emergency plan amongst your friends. You had, I don't know, but there was this, you don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that I feel sense. like in our country, on mm-hmm. the mainland, I should say, we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sweat the small stuff. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, sweating the small stuff is like our national pastime. Yeah, you've really brought you. Yeah, you've. Because Nancy and I talk about this stuff all the time, and we never quite <laughs> understand it. But you've got this bird's eye view of it. So yeah, you've just man, you've put Come our lives in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we live like that, and now we're like, now I understand it. Like. Totally. I never thought of it that way because I think when you're in it, you're in it, you know? So you have that mm-hmm. balance of going back and forth so you can, you know, get the big picture mm-hmm. and yeah, then also live within it, it and have your hands dirty, you know? So yeah, that's, absolutely. wow, because you would never be able to get the same story if you didn't, you know, no. have the residency. No, I, mean, like I didn't this. even, need the, I did not know the story was there. None of this would have happened without that first residency. And that's um, not what you, know you thought on the first residency. Second for the, the first resident. yeah well I, I was gonna say the, mm-hmm. can you just before you go in there go back to the very first residency mm-hmm. did you think when you applied before you'd done any of the residencies with NPAF when you mm-hmm. first applied has it changed from what you first applied what your first vision was oh absolutely yeah when I first applied I was planning just a short and I, I produced a short online uh, comic piece about the communities affected by a specific 2018 event. And I thought that was all oh, yeah, I was going to do. I had a, I, um, it was a fascinating piece to report. Um, and I did it. It came out. Um, I gave a talk about it. I left the residency. And then it just stuck with me. You know, I, it, the story stuck around, the people that I'd interviewed kind of stuck around in my head and I kept thinking about them. Um, I uh, wrote other books <laughs> that came out in the meantime, <laughs> but I just kept returning to this, um, this place and the way that the people were here um, and the way that they talked about events that, had they happened to me, I mean, I would have been 
like you said, weeping in a fetal position. <laughs> and yeah. They're just, you know, talking about how the Pele gives, Pele takes, and you're just, it was something that I was having that was fascinating to me. And when something is fascinating to me, it kind of haunts me. And so mm -hmm. then I applied to um, come back and expand the story. That was kind of my pitch that time. And when I came back, I expected to stay for one month and I ended up staying for five months and expanded so the story sad. and expanded the story and expanded the story. And so, you know, when I originally came back the second time, I was expecting to maybe do like a little novella or something, maybe 30 or 40 pages. And I think it's about 160, 170 pages now. So it's, it's swelled in scope and ambition a lot. <laughs> wow. So, so then you do the book and it goes to a publisher or do you self-publish? Publisher. So it'll be, it's with Silver Sprocket right now who are an awesome um, comic publisher out of uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, they've put out amazing stuff over the years and I've known their editor for a long time and wanted to do a book with them. And this is, they put out... Um, strange projects and this is sort of mm. a strange project a lot of my other like my previous book that just came out is a book about animal domestication for a young audience you can kind of wrap your head around yeah. that but talking to you about this you know it's it's almost difficult to describe you can talk about it being about resilience you can talk about it being about the rest of the world catching up to periodic cataclysm stuff like that but it's sort of a complicated thing and uh, this publisher is willing to take on complicated things. <laughs> well, I love that. Yeah, and that's, I, I think that the fact that when you're doing comics too, having mm -hmm. visuals gives mm -hmm. you this extra connection, but you still kind of have that co-creative experience as you read mm -hmm. and, and go through it. It's kind of this, it puts you in the scene. You know yeah, what I mean? This is actually one of the most like, so it's, it's a very, um, it's an interesting medium, right? Because uh, with film, a lot of the other you know, visual mediums that you think about in terms of narrative storytelling, it's almost a passive experience because you're sitting there and it's happening to you. You're watching it, right? The director chooses the pace at which you experience things, stuff like that. Comics is a visual medium, but it's a lot more like prose, like books, you know, where it's a this very active experience because you're reading it. You're like, you're choosing the pace at which you're experiencing it. You can go back and check earlier things. You can flip forward. And so having to think about all of that in terms of visual medium, I mean, it makes it fascinating, but it also makes it really complicated. Yeah, man, I, I'm just amazed. I mean, it's quite a, your residency is quite a story. I mean, really, yeah. you know, that's, so. it's a lot, I mean, it it's, is a story, yeah. <laughs> yeah, now, now, would you go back? That's what I want to know. Oh, of course, I'm not done with the book. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I got a first um but i yeah i gotta i i think the book is about 40 pages fully inked i've got a, a chunk left i'm gonna pump out another chunk this summer that'll appear in an online excerpt um, i did a print excerpt for the talk that i gave so i'm just kind of building it together because it's so interview based um mm -hmm. i can actually peel out chunks and you know do like a excerpt about this specific town or this specific place and then either publish that or sell it to be published um, and then by doing that i've sort of built this larger book that will be the it's not an anthology like it has a very strong plot line through it but mm -hmm. because it's nonfiction, i can hack stuff off and then mold those into a you know little narrative that works that's a part of the bigger narrative that also works it's really exciting, you yeah. know. It yeah. is. Well, you <laughs> you've so. got to you've got to come back when it's all published and ready to roll out oh, for the public. No doubt. You yeah. have got to. I mean, we've we've been on this journey with you, and we're not even anywhere close to the journey of what you've done. The only way we can do it is mm -hmm. th is to have that book in our hands. We want the book, you know. I know. I want it too. <laughs> I know, right? It's like talk about birthing a but baby. It's really fun to draw, actually. No, it is it. It's hard, it takes a lot of time, but honestly, it's very fun to draw. Um, and it's a lot of landscapes and, you know, interesting stuff to just, um, I, don't, I don't use physical tools, I draw digitally, so it's pixel pushing, but really interesting yeah. stuff to push pixels around on. Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's, yeah, doing the pixels part, and then that's not a, that's really not sitting under a coconut tree. 
Actually, the well, no, maybe. No, no, here's the thing. So when I first came out here in 2019, I had this dream that I could do outside drawing and stuff like that. And I ended up spending a lot of time in the residency house working away um, in front of my iPad, which was plugged into my computer because that was the only way I could get it to run. And in the time since then, this an iPad mini has come out that is like the size of a little notebook, basically. Mm. And it works with the Apple Pencil and it has like eight hours of battery life. And I drew most of the current stuff from this um, the current residency in the field, you know, I would go out and draw things. And even if I wasn't drawing what was in front of me, I was drawing a story about that place. And it's kind of easy when you're in that place, it makes you consider other things, find a little visual thing to map in, stuff like that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so Technology art, is pretty amazing. Totally come, yeah, and just like the four years that I've been wrestling with this project. Suddenly wow. I can, you know, go draw in the field. Yeah, digitally, it's awesome. Oh my gosh. That's like, it's gotta be so different than sketching though. Yeah, you know, oh, totally. of the texture. Yeah. That's a little more paranoia about dropping your iPad in a tide pool, but you know, yeah. I have yet to do yeah. that. <laughs> um, I, I think just about, every, I don't care what I've done for protection for phones. Every <laughs> single phone has ended up smashed somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> I don't shattered I'm not or very, in a watery grave. Yeah. Yeah. To, down a toilet, you know. Mm -hmm, all, I mean, mm -hmm. it's been, it's in parking lots. Yeah. yeah down a cliff. Yeah. You know, I, it, it, I'm that way with hats and sunglasses. I have, oh, like yeah. No, no, no. I'm not a kind of hat and 15 of the yeah. same kind of sunglasses. And I just lose I am, them. I have the, the, yeah, the Walmart $10 special sunglasses because, yeah. yep. They, they know nothing, nothing. You, I don't know, being on the road full time, get over it. It's it's like it's back to that again, right? It's impermanence. Mm -hmm. It just mm -hmm. yeah, that's it. We're back to that again. This is so fascinating. Wow, what an experience, Andy. It's it's super cool. I want people to follow your journey. Um, you're still mm -hmm. doing things on Twitter, right? Yeah, I, I tried to quit it and then they dragged me back. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's like I mean, ah you have to kind of be on social media to be like a professional artist these days. Um, oh, it's just so to let crazy. people know when stuff comes out and when I'm doing things and stuff like that. Yeah. But, are you are yeah, you gonna do, like do a comic mm -hmm. on like all these social media titans, you know, duking it out in the <laughs> ring? <laughs> Maybe. I actually a few years ago, um, I almost did a book about um the history of social network um, but then I realized and I, I I sold it to a publisher but then I realized that uh, by the time it came out the history would change so I was like this project is dumb and that actually then became the animals book instead it oh, was easier to on. read about animals than it was about Facebook oh they're more fun I know because oh, I think Zuckerberg sure, does wrestle I think he is a wrestler yes I think he, yeah. did, he, I, does, he does do all that the, all the he like wakeboards and wrestles and yeah I, I find it very hard to believe he's but it's trying true. to yeah I, it just <laughs> doesn't it just doesn't hard. no he just he, he you know he looks more like the guy from myspace than than he does <laughs> you know what i mean he oh, looked, totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. what was his name so tom was it tom or ted what was his yes, name from myspace, tom from MySpace. Tom from yeah MySpace. That's yeah, a, everybody so, had, was friends with him. <laughs> yeah, he, Zuckerberg might appear in my book actually, because that's a, a there's an aspect to the life out here that um, where people buy up these enormous tracts of Hawaiian mm -hmm. lands um, because of the way they were historically apportioned, they're kind of available to buy on the scale that is mm -hmm. wild. So Larry Ellison owns 99% of the island of Lanai. Um, Mark Zuckerberg owns a really significant chunk of Kauai um, oh. and it's, a, it's an interesting thing it's it's something that is lacking in this part of Hawaii again because of um, mm. kind of the danger, the danger of living here yeah 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 but you see it up in the north Benioff is there and things like that yeah I've heard that I've heard that you know even you know it happens in this country too in areas where you know the Airbnb thing people started buying second and third homes and actually mm. moved out the hospitality crews that clean the homes in certain areas yeah, in small towns true. and it's like okay now here's all these you know vacation rentals and now the property values have gone you know sky high mm -hmm. and there's no actual housing for people that will clean and do maintenance and do gardening 
And so now, like, what have you done to the school system? So it's kind of this interesting balance where some of the Airbnb thing makes sense, but there's mm-hmm. like, we've kind of, it's a little wonky right now. To, and sure. so some yeah. communities that we're in, we're like, they actually have real, real situations because no one wants to drive two hours to clean a toilet, you know? Oh, no, of course not. No, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything for the toilet, but sometimes yeah. you got to do what you got to do, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's an interesting yeah. balance, you know? And I think mm-hmm. this next, I think it, I know like you're saying about, you know, History House, it stacks up, you know, and stacks mm-hmm. on top mm-hmm. of each other. It's why there's always a thread, right? Mm-hmm. It's all connected. Mm-hmm. I think the next 10, 15 years, while we're doing, going through climate change and everything, we're going through huge shifts of communication, how people communicate. Um, mm-hmm. There's all kinds of laws, obviously, what's going on, but I feel like we're in the, we're almost volcanic right now. Oh, the world. Yeah. No, the next 15 years are going to be a wild ride. Mark my words. It is. That's what I'm saying. It's volcanic. <laughs> so I think, so yeah. I want to say your, your book is timely, even yeah. though it's ancient. <laughs> you right. know but, I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm writing it. So is that you do, you know, you have this Cassandra like feeling where you're like, oh my God, I got to do something. Yeah. Oh um, boy. Well, you know what? Here's to the present moment. Here's Cheers the present and also being surrounded by beauty. You know, seek that out if you can. Mm-hmm. And people connect mm-hmm. authentically. You know, mm-hmm. right. I think that's Absolutely. the other experience. It sounds like you know, you, you pettiness doesn't live in spaces that are have danger. And yeah, we need each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The more people meet each other, the, I mean, that was one thing you, you brought up the pandemic a couple of times, and it's hard to remember this now because my god it really drove people apart at the end you know it poisoned the water but in those first few weeks I remember thinking holy like this is what you know this is basically about as close to the end of the world as we're Mm -hmm. getting for a while and people are sticking together like people are calling each other they're figuring out new ways to stay in touch with each other like driveway parties exactly like all the stuff for the kids like it was actually like Eventually, you know, time wore on and people got tired of it and turned against each other and started squabbling. But like, you know, you consume so much post-apocalyptic fiction where like something bad happens and everybody turns on each other. Yeah, yeah. The time that of the zombie man against man. Yeah, exactly. Zombie movies. I hate zombie movies for that reason. It's like this <laughs> zombie movies come from this paranoia that like it's just you against the world. And it's not. It's like you and everyone together. Like that's all there is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I the pandemic was interesting because immediately people fought over toilet paper and rice and pasta. Yeah. And then it was like, <laughs> who's got what in the house? And oh yeah, you got no pasta sauce for that pasta. How long are you going to go without it? Huh? <laughs> I got the pasta sauce. You want the pasta sauce? Well, you know, I exactly. can make soup out of mine. No, you know, it, it just, everybody had to kind of sorted out and I think it was when everybody thought it was just a couple weeks and then oh my Mm -hmm. god what do you mean more than a month you know it was crazy yeah that was yeah yeah I just started praying but just at the beginning you know it was like such a sudden big traumatic event you know I remember not sleeping looking at my phone watching the numbers from New York rise and rise and yeah people people were there for each other you know in this way that I didn't that the the end of the world narrative tells you they won't be well, when we we were um, sheltered in 29 Palms during the pandemic, we were supposed mm-hmm. to see our friend for three weeks and go to Palm Springs, do Joshua Tree and, and Big Bear, and then mm-hmm. head on on our tour, keep going. Well, we were there for three months. And because it really wasn't safe at that point, mm-hmm. you know, really. Yeah. And um, then it was time. And I mean, we're still friends. Believe it or not, we're still friends. But <laughs> we we went walking. We we started picking up litter. We did. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did all these things, and then we started doing radio shows daily. Now we're more than daily, but mm-hmm. it was a way for and groups of people. We just had parties, and mm-hmm. and you know we we got more listeners now. Thank thanks to that part of it. But mm-hmm. it we could hear people that weren't able to see their family, their elders, if you know all kinds of every people that were really separated that needed to be like to see their elders on their when they're passing away Mm -hmm, all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff 
Yeah. And so it was, you could hear people, the lack of not being able to hug, that connectivity. And so the, through the, we had happy hour shows, we had champagne Sunday. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. people did a lot of drinking on our alarming. shows. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, <laughs> go, go listen to those archives. But you could hear people make friends, connect, and it was like this, yes, we can move forward. Yes, we can mm-hmm. laugh. Mm-hmm. We can find joy. We can, right. you know, think about things. And, and you know, I'm, our, some of our tourism partners are like, we don't have events. We can't promote things. We can't come on a show. And I'm like, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? You have more than You're events in your town. Yeah. <laughs> your town has stories. I can tell them, you know, mm-hmm. there's stories. Mm-hmm. And eventually everybody started to think of a different way of their communities, like public art. As I was telling people, you can go out with your kids and look at public art and stay away mm-hmm. from people. You can stay six yeah, feet absolutely. away. Yeah. You can do those kind of things. And eventually it opened. But now everybody's back on the highways. The highways are under construction. And I'd like everybody to go <laughs> home so we can go back to on the road like we were during the pandemic. But it was nice right. and quiet. It was Nancy and I and the truckers. Okay. Just saying. But um. Yeah, and I think no, people no. also got to know our parks, which was also another mm-hmm. thing. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, it was well, a different time. Good stuff, Andy. I'm excited. So come back, keep us posted. And if you go back to Hawaii, Hello. you know what we say, mm-hmm. Andy, get your butt back on the show. But um, <laughs> get that book out because now we're all excited. It, you know, I can't wait to read it. You know, no, I can't I, wait to be done with it. <laughs> do you think it becomes can become like a video? What's that? You know? Can it become like a like a movie kind of thing? Oh, using... maybe. I don't know. Nonfiction is. Yeah. Um, who knows? The AIs will probably, by the time I finish this, the AIs will yeah, probably just... immediately like oh, strip it. And... <laughs> what happens with AI in your industry? That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, but... I don't know if we even have time for that. But yeah, there's a whole. Is it happening in your agony. industry? For sure. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah, there's. Yeah, it's, it's happening All right. everywhere. Yeah. Well, we're going to be doing a panel a, discussion on that. I'll let you know because we'd love yeah, to have you on yeah, from your side. Because, yeah, yeah, because we've got music. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. Woof. Okay. Yeah. I feel like we need to go back to the Rosetta Stone and go back to making petroglyphs and stuff, you know? I know. Well, we might end up there. <laughs> okay. I'll go with it, man. I'll go with it. Everyone, AndyWarnerComics.com. He's on Twitter. Are you on Instagram or is it mostly Twitter that people can follow it's you on? It's mostly Twitter. I've got a squat on Instagram, but I never post there. Okay. And then, of course, NationalParksArtsFoundation.org. I'll keep all the links in the show notes. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Andy. Thanks to the National Parks Arts Foundation for what they do for parks and the artists. Uh, keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. Thanks so much, Andy. You take care. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful to talk.